Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the Clean Skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, the show that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice so that you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and today I'm joined by David Buckmaster, Nike's global compensation director and author of Fair Pay, to discuss, you guessed it, salary and compensation. Have you ever wondered how your company comes up with your salary number? or whether it's a good idea to name your salary range while you're interviewing? What about the best language to use in your salary negotiation? We're covering all that and more on today's episode around determining your worth and asking for a raise. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. In order to determine what you're worth in terms of salary at work, you first need to understand how compensation works. And who better to explain how companies determine compensation than David Buckmaster? He is the author of Fair Pay and currently Nike's global compensation director. David, can we start by getting an understanding at how pay ranges can be created and how someone can figure out what their current company is creating, like how they're creating their pay ranges, basically? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for having me. So pay ranges are a really interesting thing. And I, I think people assume that there's less rigor put into these things than there actually is. Uh, so the process for making a pay range is really, there's only a few compensation vendors out there that uh, companies will use. And there's been a lot of consolidation in this space. But um, most of us in, in, in my industry, you know, we're kind of tucked away into the dark corners of the HR department somewhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we, uh, like we are all basically looking at the same data from the same handful of vendors. So um, each spring, basically, we submit 
all of our employee data into these vendors. Like we don't use employee names, any of that stuff. Uh, and each fall, we get the results back. And that gives us a snapshot of what the market looks like at that time. So when we say competitive pay, like this is basically just what the surveys are telling us, right? Uh, so as part of those surveys, one of the things that we do to try and normalize across companies is to basically agree on a common set of definitions in two ways. So one is the type of work. Uh, so you're marketing, you're finance, you, you know, maybe a little bit more granular, you're in, you know, social media marketing, whatever it may be versus just marketing and then the job level. And so there are you know, different leveling guys that are really critical. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get back in that particular topic in a minute. But uh, basically we, um, all companies that submit into these surveys will submit all of their employee data into these companies or third parties. They will kind of strip the company names from them and then they'll report it back out. Right. Once we get that data back, companies then choose like where do they want to position themselves against that data. So most companies, uh, when you hear the phrase, you know, we pay competitively, like typically they'll pay what we call P50, the 50th percentile or the market median. Uh, just mathematically, that's where most companies choose to create their like the middle of their pay range, right? Some companies will intentionally go a bit above that. But like pay ranges are basically just a result of what comes out of our survey data. And then when you see the minimum and the maximum, honestly, like these are for most companies, just kind of a thumb in the air number, like a big round number to say, well, does the pay range need to be, I don't know, 30% wide or 50% wide from that median? But what you will typically see is like the range will um, kind of funnel shape, like the further, more senior you get in the organization, like that range will get a bit wider and that allows you to get, you know, talent from different industries and that kind of thing. So that's uh, the nuts and bolts of how pay ranges work. So when you are looking at pay ranges for someone who's currently at the company versus someone who you're maybe going to hire, is it done the same way? So everyone at, for example, at your company is given uh, maybe a department and then a level. And then when you say, okay, we want to hire for this next role, do you do the same thing? Um, so sort of. So there's been uh, some really interesting legislation that's, that has come out recently you know, around like you can't ask for salary history, right? And like, right. I, like that's actually, in, in my view, I think recruiters might hate this because it makes their job a bit harder. But I think those are really effective and really important laws, right? Because like without that information, I think too much of that happens. And when we say, okay, so if company A has a, uh, you know, a pay range of you know, whatever it is, 80,000 to 120,000 for this role, but company B is sitting at, you know, 60,000, 80,000 for whatever reason, you know, like it's just too easy to say, well, what were you getting paid before? Let me just lop on, you know, right. enough of a percentage to get you to, you know, uh, take the risk and come join our company, like regardless of, you know, the philosophy and the, the point of view of that company and how they should be doing pay. Uh, so really when you, without that, that kind of fail safe or check, and then what you get is like, you, some companies will import the different pay practices of other companies. And that's where you start getting a lot of like really wide distinctions from one company to the other. But because we are all kind of looking at the same data, again, there's not like, there's not that much difference from one company to the other. Like the, um, especially if you're in a kind of an agnostic field, like if you're an accountant, for example, like uh, your pay range is largely going to be determined by your job level in the company, which is largely a factor of uh, not your title, but your the leveling guide and the size of the company, even opposed to industry. Mm -hmm. But this is also the assumption that companies are using these vendors. There's definitely a lot of companies out there that don't use these vendors for compensation, right? I, I, yeah, I think so. But um, any company big enough to have a compensation department. Um, so yeah. like, let's just put a, a round number. Like if there are a thousand people or above, like they're all using these vendors. And so um, when you submit to these, you can see the list of participating companies. So we'll submit, but like name a big company and, and they have some version of this, right? Like mm -hmm. um, some companies are, like there is some innovation in this space. Like companies like um, 
Pave and you know Payscale and some of the others are doing a bit more interesting things around either self-submitted data, which we can talk about and some of the challenges with that, or direct fees and HRIS systems, which I think is a, a new way of exploring it. So uh, there's some really interesting innovation happening in this space, but for the most part, like these surveys are like the absolute backbone of what our field does. Mm-hmm. So there's some other terms when I was uh, reading your book that I thought would be helpful for us to review before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts about salary and, and worth. But what's a pay ban? Because I don't think people have heard of that a lot. And explain what market pricing is. So two definitions. Let's yeah. start with those. So pay bans are one of those things that we can get into like a lot of semantics in it. But like, like the like the official, like there's this industry organization called World at Work, uh, like super generic title, but like World at Work is like the credentialing body of compensation professionals, which, you know, if you're not asleep yet, you, you might already eat it. Like it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, somewhat boring stuff. But like when you say pay band, like band is technically short for the word broadbanding. And so broadband just means a pay range of the really wide spectrum to it. So like, whereas some companies might say, you know, we're going to go grade, you know, one through 25 or whatever, and like they have kind of narrow ranges and they move you up quickly. Uh, A company that uses bands might decide to take a broader uh, point of view on that, which means that somebody in the same job could be getting paid a lot more, a lot less than somebody else in the same job. So like uh, the same kinds of problems that you would see, you know, with a, you know, more narrow ranges, like you're going to see at a much wider potential spectrum, unless that company has like really clean uh, practices and policies that attach to it. So these, these words get used interchangeably a lot, but uh, banned in the traditional sense is more of just like a, a, you collapse a few grades into one thing. Gotcha. Yeah. And so uh, the second one, market pricing. So market pricing is maybe a different way of looking at pay ranges. So whereas if I pull the salary survey data down, I might say, well, okay, so what is kind of the market rate for, you know, everybody in the accounting function, right? Like, you know, these are just all my accountants. It, it doesn't matter if they're doing tax accounting or forensic accounting or cost accounting, or whatever it may be, all the different flavors of accounting. Uh, whereas market pricing, they're going to kind of go much more granular and try and peel those things off. And like, they might say, okay, so the forensic accountants, you know, their pay range is a bit higher because it's more specialized field. Same with tax accountants versus more your more general cost accountants, for example. Now, there are a lot of trade-offs you make with that. And I think I kind of say in the book, there's like maybe one of the more controversial sections in it, at least for people in my profession, is that I'm not a big fan of market pricing. I think typically when people go too granular with this, they create all sorts of internal movement problems in their company. Like if I need to get rounded out in the marketing field, like I don't want to be beholden to like the one or two jobs that, you know, in that particular survey, you know, might have just been priced higher. You know, like I, I think you create internal movement challenges uh, within your company and unexpected, like unnecessary, like, friction and the company would do that. I'm much more of a fan of a more harmonized like pay grade approach. Now, how you build that probably needs to account for some of those higher price jobs also. Uh, but market pricing thing, I, I think people in my chair who really go down this path, I, I think they have good intent. But what they're trying to do is say, well, we're going to not put our thumb on the scale at all. We're just going to do exactly what the market dictates, right? And I think they overestimate like how circular and arbitrary some of this data comes in. And or they're, they're probably only doing it for the US. Like if you go global, some of these surveys, they don't even try to do market pricing because they know that the results are going to be so volatile one year to the next that they just say, we're not even, we're not even going to go there. We're just going to go to like some global grading approach where we just collapse it all anyway. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that, right? Because what a job that's super hot right now for sure will not be in three years, right? So you have, you have to be able yeah. to go for all of those things at the same time. I was also thinking just 
like the wide variety of job titles. For example, product <laughs> yeah. manager at one company versus the what a product manager does at, at a completely different type of company can vary so much. And I just, I don't know how you, <laughs> I, honestly, that gives me a headache just thinking about how they figure that one out. I think the million dollar question that everyone's probably wondering since we have your ear is, well, how do I figure out my worth? Like, I work in marketing. I want to know like what should my range be? And I think the common advice often is, you know, figure out your market value by looking at pay scale or career contest that we have an anonymous salary database just to give people some idea of where to start. And I'm just curious, is that even like good advice? I know I've been giving it for years, but like, is that good advice for people to do that to figure out their quote unquote worth? Well, so so you hit on something really important around titles, and I think I think we need to touch on that for a bit because you're right. Like product manager, one company versus another, like might mean fundamentally different things. Like if you're, uh, especially if you're like a technical product manager, like that yeah. that is a fundamentally different job than somebody who's managing like uh, you know the marketing coordination or something, right? You know. Um, mm-hmm. Now another kind of trend that I've seen companies starting to do is to get like I don't know if it's intentionally, but like definitely a lot more vague in some of their titling structures, you know, where it's like, well, my job is called creative. Like, what does that mean? You know, like yeah. we're, we're part of that. Like how, like how senior are you? Where do you fit in? Like, what is that? Or they're using this vague head of when head of is kind of the new, the new hotness, right. Where it's like, that can mean everything from manager to like senior director, depending on certain companies. Right. But like mm-hmm. uh, most companies or people in my chair in order to control for some of that stuff, like there's always like the business facing title, like the thing that we let you call yourself uh, because we know you'll be upset if you can't call yourself <laughs> that. Like, like I know I've been on projects internationally where like I basically had to make up a title to be allowed into certain rooms, you know, like in the Middle East or Asia or whatever, um, when I was uh, a bit more junior. But like, then there's the real title, like your systems title. So I think a good starting point is to find out what your, what your, what your HR team actually calls you, you know, like. Where's the comma in your job title, right? Like, are <laughs> yeah, you manager like yeah, comma yeah, yeah. or are you whatever something yeah. manager? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, some companies will manage it that way. It's like, yeah, exactly. Like, does a manager come to the beginning or the end, you know? Yeah. And like, these, like people listening might like, their head spinning already, but like it just gets so much more granular than that, right? You know, and it's one of those things where once you figure out kind of what your company calls you, like, are you a senior? Are you a lead? Are you, you know, uh, you know, entry, whatever it may be, right? Like that's where I would encourage everybody to just go, just Google the phrase leveling guide. Like if you work in a big tech company, uh, there's an interesting site called levels.fyi that uh, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how they're populating their data, but I, I, my suspicion is that it's people in my chair that are kind of handing them over some data. Uh, like, I, don't, I don't mean that in like a, uh, you know, controversial sense, but like, like they've kind of figured out that the best way to do this is to start with uh, like, what is your actual level in the company and how do you compare that? Because again, a director at one company might be a manager at another company, right? So you have to be yeah. able to normalize for some of this stuff. So figure out your title um, or your actual systems title Go download a leveling guide. If you work in tech or any big company, like I think the best one that's very easily find online is called the Radford leveling guide. Uh, most, most basically all big tech companies will use this. And a lot of the you know, all four to 500 companies use it also. There's also good ones from companies called Mercer, Willis Harris Watson, Corn Ferry's got one. Uh, there are a lot of these leveling guides out there and they're like widely available on the internet. And, and they more or less sync up with each other because there's really no incentive to for one of these consulting companies to come up with their own version of it, right? Because like standard practice in our field is you want to participate in more than one survey, you know? So you want to be able to get multiple data sources. So once you can kind of find like that, a leveling guy that works for you, like 
read the descriptions for each one. Like it'll say a manager is, and then here's a block of text or a director is this, and there's another block of text. Like figure out what you're actually doing day to day. And then maybe compare that to your job description also to say like, I think of myself as a director, but like, holy smokes, the uh, the leveling guide description actually puts me as a senior director. That gives me something to go talk to my HR team, start with your manager, talk to my manager about like, I think I might be misleveled here. And if you can point out that your job might be misleveled, like that's a, that's a really clean indicator uh, uh, to have a follow-up pay conversation, right? Like if you just go in and say, you know, I might be, I feel like I'm underpaid. Like, unfortunately, as the employee, you just don't have good data uh, to back that up, right? Like, you might be able to in a company that makes makes their pay ranges uh, transparent to say, you know, I've been in this role at this level for five years and I paid below the midpoint. That's a problem, right? Like, I mean, typically yeah. when, you're, when you're super experienced in the range, like you want to be like pretty high in the range, right? Like those are those are pretty good when you can kind of draw those deltas with your internal policies, like that, those are good indicators for the um, for the pay conversation. But if you can start with the level thing, like that, that's where some of the bigger money comes in too, right? Like if you can say you have me as a manager, but I'm supposed to be doing director work, like that's going to come with a bigger stock target. If your company is public, a much bigger bonus target, certainly base pay. You know, a lot of stuff comes along with that, right? Um, where uh, you want to make sure that you find exactly your right place in that leveling hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I like this because basically what you're saying, and, and what I like about this especially is I feel like you kind of have to speak the language of what either the compensation team yeah. is speaking, the HR team, or at least your manager. So if you just go in and you say, I'm underpaid, that's not a good way to start the conversation. But instead, you can say, I've done some research. I looked at a leveling guide. I compared those descriptions to what I'm doing. And I think I'm misleveled here. Can we start a conversation around compensation, right? Like, Absolutely. Especially, it sounds like that like, would go better. Yeah, I mean, like if you can sprinkle in those exact phrases, you know, a senior director, you know, manages teams of blah, 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 whatever it is, you know, like if you can start figuring out how to layer that stuff in and say like, it's pretty obvious this is what I'm doing. Like, those are all really good indicators because remember, like in most, like, you know, hardly any companies does, does your manager have the capability to give you a pay raise entirely on their own, right? They are going to have right. to kind of telephone this, telephone game this up the chain. And that conversation is going to get, you know, more and more condensed. And so if it, if it just goes down into like, you know, by the time it gets to my desk and I say, oh, well, here's the phrase that I needed, you know, to say this person is misleveled. Like, I mean, these are all like, these are the things that help your case, right? So yeah, absolutely. Like just peel that language off. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most common thing that people get wrong about salary negotiations, whether they're currently working at the company looking for a raise or they're interviewing for a new job and, you know, ideally wanting to make more money? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a few things here. The first one is coming in with uh, bad data. Now, it's so hard, right? Like I want to like if I'm interviewing for somebody in in a comp role and I know that we both know this survey... Uh, like there's always a point in the conversation where they cannot be like, okay, for real, what, what is this job? Is it a P3 or a P4? Uh, or, you know, and like, this is kind of the language of what we use in the leveling guide mm-hmm. and be like, well, let's, you know, a P3. And then that person's either going to self-select out or they're, they're going to say, okay, you know, that's either the right level for me or not. Right. Like, and, and they also know the number attached to it. Right. So like, there's a difference between how I would do this, you know, because I know the data versus somebody in, you know, in the employee chair who would know. Right. Yeah. What were the, you mentioned a couple of resources for people to find these leveling guides because you mm-hmm. said the first thing is not having the right data. So what were the places for people to go? Um, something FYI? You said? Uh, yeah, so um, one of the, uh, there's a, a site called levels, L-E-V-E-L-S dot F-Y-I. Um, I think it's a couple of software engineers who've come out of the tech industry and basically said, you know, here's how the levels that Facebook compared to Google took, I think the investment banking is there also. Like they've got a couple of industries. It's a newer site, I think, um, but 
they're doing some, like the way they're structuring it, I think is actually like the correct way to do it. You know, I think that's one of the challenges where, you know, some of the self-reported sites, like you just type in your title and you're already kind of lost, right? Like you hope the machine learning algorithm on the back end is, is helping you. And I understand from like a user interface perspective, why you would want to do it that way. It's just not typically how we would think about this stuff, right? So you're not telling people to go to glassdoor.com? Let me be <laughs> kind of clear on like, so... I'm happy those sites exist. I, I think they're putting uh, some much needed transparency into the system. You know, I will check those sites every now and then. And if you're at a very large company, the data is just not correct. Um, and, you know, uh, and I, I hate to say that, but and I'm sure that's not the case for all, for, you know, for every job. But like when I look at this every now and then, like people in my chair, like we're just not using that data. Uh, just so no, we, and like there's two big reasons for that. Like, so one of them is that the, the data is like from the formal survey vendors is uh, it's complete. So it's not like the Yelp effect where you only like, you know, um, submit a restaurant recommendation where we've had a very good or very bad experience. So whereas like a glassdoor.com is going to be self-reported. So like you're not going to get the full stack of everybody who's actually in that job. And it's been normalized. There's like a third party that's kind of validated, like we've removed the outliers. We've, you know, kind of harmonized for all the distinctions and uh, industry and job. Like, again, those sites are starting to layer in some of those filters. But and and I sincerely hope, you know, for the best for them. I think that's a really like a, a really much needed tool and they have improved a lot. But there is still a gap, especially for large companies between what they look at and what shows up on those sites. So I would hope people can acknowledge that like those sites are not necessarily going to give you exactly what we're looking at. We're starting from different points. So the the bad data thing is one of those things that is important, but it's really hard to overcome. You know, in, in addition to, you know, the glass doors, I would also, and, you know, the leveling guide piece, I, I would also, you know, talk to your friends like that are in actual uh, similar roles. Like I, I think there's this myth that won't die around how you're not allowed to talk. Um, about your pay. Yeah. Like, that's, that's like a legally protected thing. Like you absolutely can. So, you know, don't let your... So even if... So everyone listen to this because even if they tell you when they give you the raise, I know for a fact someone in my life got a raise and they said, you are not allowed to share this with the other employees. That's a lie. They can. Legally, you are protected and you can share that information. Well, let me say, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not speaking on behalf of any company right now. But, <laughs> yeah, um, my, but, but um, yeah, you know, I am, my understanding is that that is all well protected um, employer speech. Like, like you can do that and that's fine. Now, like, will it made hurt your reputation? Probably, right? You know, like if you've just gone and, you know, uh, defied a, a new manager or whatever. But like, you know, and this is one of the things that my industry has to wrestle with, right? Like people are so fed up. They're creating yeah. their own salary surveys inside the companies, right? So like, mm-hmm. that is something that, you know, unless my company gets a lot more transparent, not my company, like uh, my industry gets a lot more transparent with some of these things, like we should expect to see a lot more of that in the future. Yeah, um, I think that people are. I, I I think managers are definitely expecting, maybe not for you to start your argument by saying, hey, I talked to five other people who work yeah, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're going to say I did my research and they're they're intuitively knowing that part of your yeah. research is probably talking to people about it. I, yeah. I mean, for, for sure, I think. I, I, uh, I will say, I will say like the, you know, one of the cardinal rules of being in my chair is like, you don't use the data to your own advantage, you know, like, like, you know, occasionally, like in my career, like I've seen people say, well, this person on the team is getting paid that because they do have access to all the data. And that's like, you know, cardinal sin, right? Like you don't, you don't use the, the data that you have um, access to, you know, to your advantage when nobody else in the company can have that advantage, right? Like that's not, not something you want to do. So yeah. Yeah. It's like abusing your power. Um, yeah, okay. Bit. So biggest common mistake is not coming to the table with the right data. So do your research, get your data, yeah. talk to real people to determine what that range is when you come in yeah. to determine either what you're, you're worth currently or what you want to ask for with your salary. Because I think another big mistake is people 
will be too vague about it. They're like, I want a salary increase, you know, and then they don't. Absolutely. It's like too vague. It's, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. What, what's the number that you want, you know? Or, or, they, or they feel like, uh, you know, I need to make it realistic and say, you know, I'm only going to ask for a 5% increase or something like kind of minimal. Like I, if you're in my chair and somebody comes to a 5% increase, you're like, I mean, they're, they're just like, what is this person doing? You know, it's like 5%, you're probably going to get that in the merit cycle anyway, you know, on an annual basis or, you know, something within that range. But like, it just doesn't rise to the level of, I need to take care of this right now. If you're coming to, if you're coming um, at your comp team with something small, but if you can point out, Hey, something that's broken in our process, or, you know, I've, I've kind of fallen behind or whatever has happened. And by the way, I feel like I'm 20% behind, you know, anything less than 10%, I think is, is just going to be like, agree with kind of shrugs, you know, because like, you know, everybody at all times kind of feels like they're underpaid. Like that's just kind of the ambient temperature of what we do, you know? So like it has to rise at the level of urgency to where people will, um, you know, take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had mentioned also, I asked you about some common myths about salary and you said, so a lot of people will say when you're interviewing for a job to name your number and you're saying, hold off on giving them your salary number, right? I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't do it. I mean, you're, I don't see any advantage to doing that. Like, so let's say again, like you're going from one company, like from one company to another and you both got, um, both companies are using that P50 number, right? The median survey, like we're looking at the same data. Again, if it's a lateral number, there's really probably no harm in it because like your numbers are probably going to be similar. But like, let's say you, without knowing, because there's no way if you look this up ahead of time, go to a company where their salary ranges. Uh, you know, said at the 90th percentile or even above it, you know, like now if you've named a number that you are probably going to guess is too much too low, like you've kind of short circuited yourself, right? Where like, I, I think that the better, the better approach is to just like, is to not give a number, wait till you have a number back and then ask for what you need from there. So like, let's say you in that scenario where you go from a P50 company to a P90 company, like that may exceed your wildest expectations, right? Um, it can't hurt to ask for a little bit more at that point. But like, uh, at that point, you probably want to focus on like getting some of your walkaway stuff solved. And so I'm, I'm going to assume most of your audience are like, um, you know, office working professionals, right? Yeah. Uh, so if, so if, if you've given up, you know, a bonus target for the year, you've lost some stock grant investing, like the typical practices are um, companies will typically try and fund uh, your next 12 months of what you've walked away from. Um, anything beyond that, they're, they're going to expect their own programs to try and supplement for you. So like kind of have that number in your back pocket also, and don't get it added to your base pay. That's a different thing, right? Like don't say, well, you know, I went from hundred to 150. Isn't that awesome? But I had to give up 20, like do the 150 plus the 20. Like uh, again, like that. Okay, wait. So let's yeah. role play for a second. Sure, let's sure. say, and I want to keep the math easy. I'm in my current job. I make $100,000 and I'm going to earn a bonus of $20,000 this year. And I'm interviewing oh. for a new job. And so I'm walking away from essentially 120. 100 is guaranteed. 20 is just because I did something great this year, right? So what would you... And they're going to a company. They don't know if it if that company is, is based on P50 or P90, but the company comes in and they say, you know, we want to offer you this job. We're going to offer you 120. What do you negotiate from there based yeah. on like where you were before? I, I would try and get some information to say, so, you know, about where does that put me in your pay range? You know, because like, let's say, let's say that old company, you were highly, highly experienced in your role, right? Like uh, their pay range happened to go from, you know, 75 to 115 and you're paid 100. So, you know, you're, you're fairly high in the role, right? But you're going to the new company where their pay range that you don't know is, uh, and you're getting, if you've said you're getting offered 120, but their pay range goes from 
115 to 150, and you find out you're really experienced in this job and this level, but they're paying you in the low part of the pay range, you need to be negotiating for the high part of that pay range to say, actually, you know, um, and that's why you always lead off with some saying something like, you know, I'm, I'm really experienced at this level in this job. Again, leveling guide comes in handy here. You know, I, I would expect to be uh, paid in the section of the range that's, you know, representative of my experience. Right. Mm. So they'd probably come back and say, in that example, I've already forgotten the fake, the fake number I gave. So let, let's say <laughs> 100, 115, to, uh, whatever, 150. Um, yeah. You know, you'd probably actually expect the number not to be 120, but 130, 140. And because you want to be placed in the right part of the pay range for their compensation philosophy, because you are going to be your new peers are doing the same work you are, and you're going to be just as experienced, if not more so than they are. So otherwise, you're going to walk into an environment and find that you're underpaid relative to people with less experience than you. Beyond that, it's also safe to ask for uh, your walk away. Because like, don't, don't conflate these two, right? Like, so, uh, like you say, um, the, the, where you are, especially at time of hire and time of promotion, you've got to get in the right part of the pay range. But if you're giving something up, it's completely okay to say, listen, I'm also going to be giving up, you know, this $20,000 bonus that's due to me next month. Like, uh, you know, I would, I would expect that as a, as a sign on cash payment. A lot of companies will kind of have like their kind of stock, like, uh, I don't mean stock like equity, but in the sense of like, here are our policies. If you're a new hire, we're going to give you a sign on bonus of X and that we think that'll probably cover a lot every lost bonus opportunity because again we're all kind of looking at the same targets uh, in the same surveys here's maybe an equity grant because these are kind of the standard offerings but like i would almost look at each one of those as a silo and make sure that you're being captured in, in all three of them so when you're negotiating for that offer treat each one individually but i really like what you said about when they give you the offer say where do i fall in your pay range i think that's great i haven't heard that a lot and i think everyone can some new uh, vocabulary for us is about levels, ask where you fall in the pay range and then go back and kind of come to them with your offer or like your counter offer of like, this is what I want my salary, my here's my what I'd be walking away from. Here's what I'd expect for my other, the compensation package, right? So just to wrap up, I feel like we've kind of talked about how to determine your worth and everyone just needs to buy your book because it's like, this is a hard conversation to have quickly, you guys, because obviously there's a lot in there, but determining your worth, negotiating when you have a new offer. What about asking for a raise at a current company? Any like final tips, advice, things that, or maybe even like a story of someone you've seen do it really, really well or resources people should be using because especially coming out of COVID, I think a lot of people are saying like, hey, I took on a totally different role or things have changed a lot. And so I'm ready to ask for a raise. And maybe they're just wondering like some of the old rules might not apply anymore. Yeah. I mean, the coming out of COVID thing is a fascinating one. I think, you know, for the first time, probably in my career, like uh, if you're talented, you have uh, like a lot of power right now. Right. Yeah, so um, again, like everyone's um, asking for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, and if you're good, you're going to be hard to replace too. So like, uh, I, I would say, you know, don't do it casually. Again, you need to like, like maintaining your relationships is a big part about getting uh, promotion and pay opportunities down the road. Right. Like if you come in, kind of half half cocked on this stuff or with a, um, a not so great case, like it's going to be a little like boy who cried wolf, you know? So like you still need to follow the same process regardless of what's happening in, um, in the general marketplace. But, you know, I talk about how to contextualize your employment situation a lot, depending on where you are in the organization. So I talk about this in terms of um, what I call the fair pay mix, which um, I don't think we have time to like fully break down, but like what I talk about is like you need to think about your job in terms of like priority for pay increases, uh, the permission that your company gives you to ask, the processes that go behind it, and then like power dynamics that you have. So we talked a little bit about power already. 
for hourly workers, this is fundamentally different, right? This is where things like unions come in, collective bargaining, that kind of stuff. For you know, professional level people like uh, process, like uh, can you just show, hey, you know, if I can you do the math and say I, I kind of predict what my annual pay increase is going to be like for the next four or five years. I don't think this is going to help me keep up in the pay range or whatever. Like being able to show those deltas where you depersonalize the situation and say, listen, I've just been kind of caught in a in kind of a loop or like things aren't necessarily going well. Like depersonalizing it away from like how your manager has like treated you or whatever. Like, because again, they probably have had very little say in over your pay. So being able to do that, knowing the right time to ask, I would say if you're going to ask right before like your annual pay merit cycle, whatever you call it, your company, your pay raise is probably going to be minimized because it might just get rolled into the overall um, pay increase number. Uh, so I might think about this like the exact opposite time of year to start having that conversation um, because then you might get what's called an off-cycle pay increase. Like this stuff does happen, especially like in the counter offer realm, no matter how much your company says they don't do them. Like, trust me, they do. Uh, for people <laughs> that they want to retain. Mean, I was going to say, do you mean the counter offer when you go to your boss and you say, I have an offer from another company? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's like I talk about that in terms of power dynamics, right? Like that's kind of like uh, I think I've called it like the nuclear option. Like if, if you're yeah. going to, like if you're going to do that, like you better be ready to walk, right? Because like yeah. a lot of a lot of managers will unfortunately treat that as a bit of a betrayal. You know, like some companies like Netflix is like the prime example where they openly encourage you to do that so they can kind of create that feedback loop on their market data, which I think is really uh, cool and interesting. Or some companies just have over policies to say we don't do counter offers because I think there, there's this like belief among comp people among recruiters that's like super hard to verify but something like 80% of people that re- accept the counter offer leave within six months anyway so like they don't want to upset like the overall ecosystem of pay for one person who's been a super squeaky wheel and like this is this is such like an important mindset shift to, to think like people in you know um, in, in the HR seat are thinking about this in terms of how do you optimize for the system whereas as the employer think about how optimizes for myself and so that means a lot of times you're going to have to hear unless you have a really great case you're going to hear no just a lot uh, because that's going to upset the balance of you know ten other people right like if we say yes too quickly or not thoughtfully enough like this shows up in our pay gap numbers you know our pay equity stuff like you know our um, even our budget and funding, right? So we have to be really thoughtful around how do we say yes for this person and can we apply some of the same guidelines and characteristics for somebody else who might ask so we don't have any sort of favoritism or bias that leaks into the overall system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you get a counteroffer, maybe you could use that as your personal data, but you don't need to share that necessarily with the with your manager or HR when you're doing your negotiation. I'd be be mindful not to, especially like like if you are... um, if your counter offers for a promotion that just doesn't exist at your current company, you know, like let's say you're going from a small company to a big company and maybe like it's just not big enough for that next senior director. Like they don't need it, you know? So like, it's not really necessarily fair to ask your company to break apart something totally custom for you unless you like happen to be this like super special, unique unicorn, right? Like they're probably not, they're probably going to say, we wish you the best. Um, we hope you'll come back in a leadership role at some point, but we just we're not we don't have the space for you and this at this level, right? Because um, so I would be I'd be super mindful about sharing that you mm-hmm. went out and got a counter offer. So last question around raises, and there's always a lot, especially with COVID, like a lot of people moved out of these expensive cities and they're living other places. And so does that have anything to do with how much money an employer should be paying you based on like where you're living or cost of living and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so this this is like an hour long conversation here. Unfortunately, I know. <laughs> so this is like uh, this, from like this is a no win argument from a compensation design point of view. So I, I think maybe one important point to uh, factor in here is like 
the difference between cost of labor and cost of living. Uh, your HR team, your compensation team is not looking at your cost of living data at, at all um, when it's setting your pay rates. And like some occasionally somebody um, who works in my field might get like, uh, you know, here's the somebody sends them like their budget in Excel. And, you know, how do you possibly expect me to live? It's like, well, I mean, these are important data points, but really how we design these programs are around something called cost of labor, which is the price of jobs in a certain geographic location. So what you're seeing now is companies, I think Google has gotten hammered, you know, because they've said, and some other companies have said, you know, if you relocate for remote work, whatever, we're going to decrease your pay. And I yeah. think, um, yeah, and, and I think a lot of us in the field are saying, whoa, we didn't do anything new. We've been doing this for years and years, decades, even, you know, like if you move for one, like the, some of the data is super circular, you know, like if you're in New York or San Francisco or whatever, like that cost of labor data is only that high because of other people that are in that environment, you know? So it's like, if you start kind of breaking that cycle and, you know, somebody is now working in Omaha or something you say, well, the cost of labor there is a bit different. So that's the price of jobs in the market. The counterpoint obviously is, well, if I'm adding the same value, how can we not pay the same rate? And I think a lot of companies will make that, will make that calculation, right? And say, well, you know, I think uh, typically smaller companies can get away with that. It's actually quite hard to manage at scale in big companies because you don't really know, like, did that person relocate because they wanted to or because we asked them to? And then you've got people who weren't allowed to relocate, who are in the expensive cities, who are now mad at you because you know, a person on their team is living on that ranch and netting 30% more than you are. And their remote work um, option was declined, right? So, I mean, there's right. all sorts of yeah. combinations that happen here. And I'm interested to see where this this goes. Uh, but uh, when I'm seeing some of these headlines and I'm like, well, I understand how they got there, right? Like, like I, I think people who are upset have a point, but I completely understand how they got there. And I haven't seen a lot of fundamental change in our field in this area yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is just another reason why people need to buy your book. It's called Fair Pay, everybody. Um, go get David's book because this stuff is complicated. We could literally have him on the show for like eight more hours and probably still have another like two days worth of questions and trying to understand how all this works because at the end of the day, compensation is complicated. And I mean, you're talking about here's some of the vendors that the big companies use, but like not everyone works at a big company. And how do you do this? But I, I, my walk away from this too is about some new language to use to to talk about salary so that you can actually get a better result. I really liked your tip about like, hey, don't like I know as a recruiter, I used to always ask the question. One of the first questions we would say is, "What are your salary expectations?" There are plenty of people who don't answer it, and it that's fine. Like I never, it was just sort of like, if I could get that from you, that would be helpful. But if I don't, I don't, you know? And so thinking about leveling guides, talking about being misleveled, um, asking about their pay, where do I fall in the, the pay range? I think these are all really good questions that people aren't asking. They're constantly told to have a range and come up with that number by talking to other people. All well and good, but there are some I think you can have actually a better conversation by asking the person on the other end a few more questions up front before you have to start your negotiations. That's kind of like my walk away is like, oh, here's a couple more questions you can ask that will help you get your puzzle pieces set up. Yeah. And, you know, I think fundamentally it's it's on the company to to do the right thing here. You know, like um, what I, my experience in big companies is that and the re- recruiting function doesn't want to be the one who messed up, right? Like if they are trying to like, and, and what I mean by that is if they lowball you, um, that's going to show up in their performance review later, right? Like, because I, that person has probably left or you've created 10 other pay problems because you've uh, kind of... Yeah, you're not good at your job. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. Like, so like that recruiter is probably like, I just, I want to make sure this person is, you know, fairly paid and get them off my desk because I have 
12 other requisitions I need to get right. done this week, right? So it's like, let's close the deal. Let, let's do a good job here. But, you know, some companies, unfortunately, don't operate that way. And, you know, the onus is on the employer to, to figure out the right systems and processes to do the right thing. And that's what I hope, you know, I accomplish with this book is that people understand enough to force companies to make the changes when they need to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. We covered a lot. (laughs) Um, Everyone, the book is called Fair Pay. Um, David Buckmaster, he is a guy who knows his stuff. He's the global compensation director. So he has to deal with this hard, these hard questions all the time. David, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. We love your feedback and we'd be so grateful if you would rate and review our show. And if you want to have David come back on the show, for example, leave that in your review. Let us know, or you can even pop into our Instagram DMs and let us know, including your salary questions for any future episodes. If you want to learn more about David and buy his book, Fair Pay, check out our show notes for links. Lastly, for another salary tool to consider for your research, check out our free and anonymous salary database. It's called The Salary Project. In 10 minutes or less, we will send you a personalized salary report, plus give you access to thousands of real salaries submitted by listeners just like you. The link to The Salary Project is also in the show notes.